Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michelle, and today we're going to be talking about Venus's transit through the second decan of Aries. So we're going to be looking at the area of the zodiac between 10 and 20 degrees of Aries. And in that time frame from March the 29th until April the 6th, Venus will be making a sextile to Saturn, uh, a conjunction with a few of the uh, fixed stars in the sky that are associated with the royal family, uh, Cepheus the king, Andromeda, and Cassiopeia. Um, and then we are going to be looking at Venus's sextile to Mars. We will also talk about the Three of Wands today and the myth of Persephone. And of course, at the end, we will do an I Ching reading to help discern the essence of this transit. So let's take a look at the chart. Hope that you're all doing well out there and that you are doing uh, well after this full moon in Libra. Um, this full moon had to had some significations of making some sacrifices for the family potentially. So let me know in the comments if you've been experiencing any of that in your narrative where perhaps some of your self-directed actions had to be balanced out with taking care of the needs of those close to you or the needs of your community. Um, I'm curious to hear your stories. So what we're looking at here with uh, Venus moving into the second decan of Aries is Venus is still under the beams of the sun. So she is still very combust. We just had the Kazemi moment of Venus a few days ago, and now she's starting to come out of that rebirth phase, um, but still in what we call the lying hidden phase where she is invisible. She's still kind of being burnt up by the, the rays of the sun. So if we think of Venus as a harmonizing influence where she is trying to bring things together that have been separated, um, this is a position where some of our self-motivated or self, self-interests may still be much more powerful than our desire to, to, I don't know, be balanced, to be even, to create an equilibrium. And that may be causing some challenges right now. So this is a pretty afflicted Venus as we, as we speak. Uh, it is also in its exile. So Aries is the temple of Mars. And we are really seeing some martial energy here with a, a sextile to Mars in Gemini. So we have just a lot of options that we're, we're working through right now. Okay. And one of the things that may assist us in this journey is being able to make some choices. And a lot of the times what we're going to have to do is get in touch with our own inner desires, our own inner fire. And because that is one of the only things that can sustain us over time is if we have an ability to draw upon um, whatever animating spirit comes from within. This is something I've been talking about recently with Aries uh, season is if we're motivated by external things, external approval, external rewards, those are the things that eventually will burn out and we won't be able to get the nurturing and the sustenance that we need from that. Whereas if we switch gears and we, we turn that to that inner motor motivation, that can be something that might be able to sustain us over a longer period of time because that inner flame hopefully will never burn out. So that's something to really consider with, with Venus here is we really have to get in touch with what is our self-directed, uh, you know, 
guiding light and purpose. So that's kind of the, the basic um, gist of what Venus is trying to do. Um, we, of course, are going to have to eliminate some of the options so that we can move forward with our chosen path. And that's going to be provided by Mars moving through Gemini, where we are maybe having some conflict by trying to hold dualities. And this really plays into the Persephone myth as well. I did want to read you some Orphic hymns today, but just to tell you the basic gist of the Persephone myth that I think is pretty important that, that, that informs this decanic experience is that Persephone, of, of course, was the daughter of Demeter. So like the goddess of fertility, abundance, the goddess of the grain, um, the harvest. So she was the, Demeter was the goddess that brought like, you know, life to the earth. And um, her daughter was, was a young maiden, uh, also called Kore, which is another word for maiden. And uh, she was playing in the field and she got kind of seduced by this beautiful flower that she found in the field. And she tried to pick this flower and then the, the whole ground started to, to shake and rumble and it split wide open and out of, out of the depths of the bowels of the earth uh, came Hades or Adonius, who was the, another word for Hades, who was the, the daimon or spirit associated with the first decan of Aries, which I think is pretty interesting because if we think about how spring usually works, you know, if we have this power that's trying to erupt from the darkness of the ground itself, like when we have a seed planted in the earth, you know, they, they did call Hades uh, a, a power that was feeding the, um, kind of the fertility above ground by the power that it was providing underground. So that's kind of an interesting, um, I don't know, a little side note about Hades. Um, but we can think about Persephone. And so she got kidnapped by Hades after he erupted from the ground and took her down to his, his realm. And, uh, you know, she spent some time there and eventually kind of got tricked by Hades to eat uh, a few pomegranate seeds, some of the food of the dead. If you ate some of the food of the dead, you had to, you know, spend some time there. Uh, you had to maybe, I don't know if you were able to leave or not, but Demeter was pretty upset about this and refused to allow things to grow. So eventually, uh, I don't know if it was Demeter herself or another, um, I don't know, guide, went to Zeus and was like, hey, Zeus, <laughs> we, can't, we can't let this continue to happen because nothing's going to grow. Your, your favorite human beings are all going to die because Demeter is in mourning. You got to do something about this. So there was a deal that was brokered um, between Zeus and his brother, Hades, to allow Persephone to return to the land of the living. Um, but there was this disappointment around it because uh, they all realized that she'd eaten some of the food of the dead and in the Homeric hymns, um, which I didn't want to read all of you, uh, I didn't want to read all of it for you because it's actually like 12 pages long, the, the hymn to Demeter. <laughs> like, so I don't want, want this video to be like uh, two hours long here. Um, but it was very interesting. And, and uh, they allowed Persephone to spend a third of the year in Hades and then two thirds of the year uh, above ground, which is different than what we see in the kind of the um, 
the Orphic hymns where she he, she spends at half of the year underground and then rises back up. But the interesting thing about Persephone is that with her return to the earth, we are seeing the return of life to of the springtime. She was a goddess of the spring. She was a god, uh, the wife of Hades, but also a goddess of fertility because of her return and because of her ability to, you know, be worshipped with Demeter, her mother. Um, and speaking of that growth that happened when she came back from the underworld. And one thing I wanted to talk about with Persephone in general is uh, it was pointed out to me by my partner when I was discussing this, maybe some takes on a feminist version of Persephone, where, and I was reading about this a little bit in a book, well, an excerpt from a book that hopefully I will get one of these days here. I have another big book order, I think, coming, but it's called The Lost Goddesses of Early Greece by Charlene Spretnik. And she has some kind of um, either reimaginings or potentially going back into earlier goddess traditions where she's seeing a, a much more feminine perspective on these stories. And she suggests that perhaps Persephone left her mother uh, of her own accord. Uh, in, in her story that I briefly perused and don't have a complete grasp on, but I think that I know the, the gist of it, uh, in, in her wanderings and in her uh, journeys with her mother, she started hearing the voices of the dead and had to pursue those voices of the dead and go into the underworld. And her mother was like, I don't want you to go and was trying to hold her back. And eventually she had to like to leave. And this, I think this really speaks to the martial type of experience with, with Aries in general, the severing from the mother, the severing from the, the, the cosmic womb potentially to establish your own territory. Remember, Persephone became the queen of the underworld. So that is an interesting thing. And maybe not necessarily seeing Persephone as this damsel in distress or this victim, but more as, as choosing to leave behind um, the mother. So something to consider, something to meditate on and to think about as we are moving through Aries season here. So what I want to do is uh, let's kind of just look at the rest of the condition of Venus, and then we'll read this Orphic hymn. So Venus is moving through her own terms right now from 6 to 12 degrees, so she has a little bit of agency. Again, this may speak to some of the agency of Persephone in that more uh, feminized type of uh, experience of the myth, whereas eventually... Venus will move into the terms of Mercury from 12 to 20 degrees. Now, the rulers of this face are the sun. This is a, a dual solar ruled decan. We, of course, see the sun's degree of maximum exaltation at 19 degrees of Aries. So this is very much about uh, trying to find an awareness of who we are, what we want to do. Uh, this decan is about kind of royalty, but governing the, the new territory that we established in the first decan of Aries. Remember that card was called Dominion. Um, Book T calls the three of wands that we see established strength. 
So here we see a figure that is leaning on a few wands and watching the ships that have been sent out to either conquer new territory, uh, to send out your, your merchant goods or things of that nature. And there's this quality of, of maybe having to wait for, for fruition here. So we have the initiating energy of spring, but we may still be in process and we may still be leaning on the mother country, the mother plant, the mother deity um, before we can establish ourselves uh, maybe potentially in the third decan of Aries where we've finally broken free. So again, we, we really see a, this story of initiating an experience, you know, kind of consolidating and, and um, focusing the experience in the second decan. And then the third, we have the result of, of what we have started. Um, Toth calls this virtue, and Austin Coppett calls this deck in the crown, having more of these royal type of associations. Let's go back to Persephone for a minute here, and I'm going to read you two versions of an Orphic hymn because I think that they're pretty neat. This first one is from Patrick Dunn's book, The Orphic Hymns, but I'm actually going to read you... Uh, part of the appendix, which includes Thomas Taylor's 18th century translation. So I think that there's just some really interesting rhymes with this. And then I will read from um, the Orphic hymns by Apostolos Athanas Sakis. Athanasakis. There you go. Okay. So this is number 28, according to uh, Mr. Taylor, and then it'll be 29 in the other book. It says, Daughter of Jove, Almighty and Divine, come, blessed Queen, into these rites incline, only begotten Pluto's honored wife, O venerable goddess, source of life. Tis thine and earth's profundities to dwell, fast by the wide and dismal gates of hell. Jove's holy offspring of a beauteous mien, fatal with lovely locks, infernal queen, source of the furies, who blessed frame proceeds from Jove's ineffable secret seeds, mother of Bacchus, sonorous divine, and many formed the parent of the vine. The dancing hours attend thee, essence bright, all ruling virgin, bearing heavenly light, illustrious horned of a bounteous mind, alone desired by those of mortal kind. O vernal queen, whom grassy plains delight, Sweet to the smell and pleasing to the sight. O holy form in budding fruits we view, Earth's vigorous offspring of a various hue, Espoused in autumn, life and death alone, To wretched mortals from thy power is known. For thine the task according to thy will, Life to produce and all that lives to kill. Here, blessed goddess, send a rich increase Of various fruits from earth, with lovely peace. Send health with gentle hand and crown my life with blessed abundance, free from noisy strife. Last in extreme old age, the prey of death, dismiss we willing to the realms beneath, to thy fair palace and the blissful plains where happy spirits dwell and Pluto reigns. That's pretty cool. Um, some things to unpack there. Of course, Jove is Zeus. There's a Roman name for Zeus. She is the vernal queen, the queen of spring. Um, she is, in, in the Orphic system, she was a, one of the mothers of uh, Dionysus, 
which I don't have time to unpack here, but that's, that is a fascinating take. Illustrious Horned of a Bhavtiya's mind speaks to her having some relationship with the moon. Uh, in some of my research in the myth, Hecate, one of the kind of, I don't know, phases of the moon was associated with helping to find Persephone helping Demeter to find Persephone after she was kidnapped. So because of Persephone's time that she spends underneath the ground and then her reappearance, we can see it having some associations with the moon itself and it's, you know, disappearing and reappearing nature. So let's read one more here because this is a, a different translation from a, a native Greek speaker that is a little bit more up to date says, Persephone, blessed daughter of great Zeus, sole offspring of Demeter, come and accept this gracious sacrifice. Much honored spouse of Pluton, discreet and life-giving, you command the gates of Hades in the bowels of the earth. Lovely tressed Praxidike, pure bloom of Dio, mother of the Uranes, queen of the netherworld, secretly sired by Zeus in clandestine union. Mother of loud, roaring, many-shaped Eubolius, radiant and luminous, playmate of the seasons, reverend and all, revered and almighty, maiden rich in fruits, brilliant and horned, only beloved of mortals. In spring, you take your joy in the meadow of breezes. You show your holy figure in branches teeming with grass-green fruits. In autumn, you were made a kidnapper's bride. You alone are life and death to toiling mortals. O Persephone, you nourish all, always, and kill them too. Hearken, O blessed goddess, send forth the fruits of the earth as you blossom in peace, and in gentle-handed health bring a blessed life and a splendid old age to him who is sailing to your realm, O queen, and to mighty Pluton's kingdom. Okay, there are maybe a little bit more... Less, less coded in the language of like the 18th century or the 17th century, whenever, you know, Mr. Taylor was doing his interpretation. So she's, she's both birth and death, right? She's the queen of the underworld. Um, one really interesting little detail I found in my exploration of the Homeric hymns was Hades was called the hospitable one, uh, which, it, you know, <laughs> you're thinking about, well, what does that mean? Well, death welcomes everyone. So <laughs> his realm welcomes everyone at the end of a life. I thought that was, that gave me a little bit of a, you know, a chuckle, uh, thinking about um, his role in the underworld itself. Okay. So what do we, how do we unpack all of this? So one of the, the words that came up through my experience of Aries and these decans in general is the word sovereignty. Sovereignty has to do with kind of governance or ruling. So sovereignty, a definition, supreme authority within a territory, okay? An autonomous state, freedom from external control. So with this decan being one of rulership, with it having to do with the sun, we are trying to establish our authority within a territory, maybe in the underworld, maybe in this new territory that we're trying to leave um, behind, like the old, 
you know, reliance on the mother, reliance on the, the cosmic womb. It's really a struggle for independence. All right. So let's take a look at the transits. Hopefully that gives you a little bit of a understanding. I thought the Persephone thing was really cool because a lot of the times we think of her as an underworld goddess and thinking about her return as bringing spring back and growth back really makes a lot of sense with Aries and spring in the Northern Hemisphere. All right, so if we go forward here to the 30th, the first aspect that Venus is going to be making is a sextile to Saturn. So this is a harmonious aspect between Venus and Kronos. So this may speak to getting a sober perspective in our relationships, um, maybe potentially having to make a crossing since Saturn is in the second decan of Aquarius, which is consecrated with the Six of Swords, we may see uh, the necessity, like maybe without even our own choice, we have to cross over from one realm to another. Like Persephone had to cross over, you know, into the underworld. It wasn't necessarily through choice. She um, was maybe forced there. Or if we look at the more empowered version, maybe it was through choice. So again, that's something we can meditate on. Um, but I think in this card, the Six of Swords, we are seeing these people crossing potentially the River Styx. That's one of the ultimate transitions from life to death or potentially back to, to birth again. So in our quest to be masters of our own domain, we may have to make a crossing and leave something behind. And I really think that this um, Venus-Saturn sextile has to do with taking a long-range view and potentially uh, slowing down some of our self-directed desires to make sure that they are fitting within the long-range um, you know, expectations that we have or that are given to us, uh, making sure that these desires fit within the bigger picture of our life. That's something to consider as we come off this full moon and start to integrate it into our life. Um, there's probably something that came to light around this period of time. And now we have to integrate it into the, the, the blueprint of our life as we continue to build with an eye on the future, with an eye on our idealistic uh, social constructs that we want to make moving forward. Okay, so that is the 30th with the sextile. We're also going to be seeing the sun making a sextile the same day. So again, th these two planets are going to be moving together. All right, and if I move forward a few days to the 2nd of April, we will see Venus making uh, a conjunction with the fixed star Alderamin which is in the constellation Cepheus, the king. And these, these constellations are near the pole. Uh, so we have a, a group of constellations, the royal family, Cepheus, King Cepheus, Queen Cassiopeia, Princess Andromeda, uh, Perseus is there, the hero. And this fixed star, Cepheus the king, has to do with um, dignity, dignified actions, dignified stature, um, potentially with Venus having dignity and loyal, loyalty within your relationships. 
Um, you know, not letting the, I don't know, not letting your integrity go as you pursue uh, governance of this new territory that you're moving into. There may be temptations along the way to uh, pursue ne nefarious means to establish yourself. And I would encourage you against that, especially with Venus on this fixed star. It's important for you to maintain your integrity, to rise above challenges, and, and to have this royal stature. Um, a lot of the times, I, I think as a, a Leo type person that is solar um, ruled, and I have a Leo ascendant, and I talk to my Leo sun friends too. A lot of the times when we have Leo and solar type things, when it's functioning at its best, um, it's not about arrogance. It's about maintaining your dignity and rising above pettiness and petty challenges, right? It's like, okay, this is not necessarily something I need to get in an argument about. How about I you know, rise above this and um, stay true to myself and my sovereignty. If, if you feel confidence in yourself, if you feel attraction to this sovereign supreme authority that comes from within, you, you are much less susceptible to being challenged. The only, the time where pride really arises and the arrogance arises, a lot of the times that arises from our insecurity. That arises from feeling threatened, that our power is threatened, that it could be taken away from us. So on April the 2nd with Venus here, if you're having a difficult disagreement, um, recognize that your power, if you're, if you're embracing the right type of power, which is your own divine spark, it will never be able to be taken away from you, whether you disagree with someone or not. And that can really, I think, help you to overcome some of the challenges of pride, arrogance, uh, disagreement that may feel like a threat. I think that a lot of times when Venus is in Aries, we may have difficulty coming to a consensus with people because we see their differences as threatening to us. And we can see that relationship with parents and children. Sometimes we can see our parents as somebody that you know, we want to be different as, and we want to establish our own life, and we don't want to make their, their mistakes. Uh, a lot of the times, they are the ones that install the buttons in us that, that life can push, that they can push, but life can push. And we say, we don't want to be like mom. We don't want to be like dad. And um, a lot of the times, that'll cause us to have conflicts and to reject the, those important relationships in our life. And a lot of the times, the parent is uh, understanding of those challenges, but most of the time, they're not. It, it depends on how, I guess, spiritually evolved or comfortable the parent is. Because it, if you are a parent that is working on yourself and your own issues and your own individuation, you will cease to see the child as a threat if they choose a different path than you. So again, it works both ways. So again, that comes back to the inner sovereignty, inner authority. All right. So that's what was going on on the second. As we move forward to the third, we will see Venus making a conjunction at about 14 degrees of Aries with the fixed star called Alpha Rats. 
and Alpharetz was in the constellation Andromeda. And I, I couldn't help but notice, I, I think, some correlations with the traditional myths of Andromeda and Persephone, um, you know, waiting to be swallowed up by some kind of beast, uh, perhaps a damsel in distress type of energy or some victimhood type of uh, significations. But interestingly enough, there is a second constellation that Alpharetz is a part of. Originally, Alpharetz was part of the uh, constellation Pegasus, which speaks more towards speed, freedom, and independence. So I think that you can choose when Venus is on 14 degrees of Aries, are you going to fall prey to being the, the victim and project perhaps your insecurity about moving into a self-directed sovereign new place onto others and say, oh, I'm being forced to do this. I'm being forced to leave the nest. I'm being abducted to some other world. Or are you going to say, I embrace this new challenge. I embrace this new freedom. It's up to me now to, to begin to establish my new value system, my new social consciousness, my new uh, ability to create harmony within the world that I am now creating that is my own sovereign state. So again, that is, I would say, those two days in general have to do with maintaining your dignity, um, taking responsibility for, for governing the world that you want to create. You can't, can't create your own world and ask for freedom and independence if you're not willing to take responsibility for it. No one's going to do it for you, I think, is the thing. And that, that's really the energy right now. Um, we're just, some of us, maybe waiting for this grand divine symbol, this, this permission. And a lot of the times we just have to kind of, you know, say, resolve that, uh, hey, I'm going to try to do this. And maybe I'll fail, but, but may, I, will, I will have learned something in the process. So that I think that's the energy we're seeing right now. Now, if we move to April the 6th, we can see that the next aspect that we have is a sextile between Venus and Mars. Okay. And this is a harmonious aspect between um, Aphrodite and Ares, who were sort of illicit lovers as well in mythology. They were secret clandestine, um, you know, they had a secret clandestine affair. And they were caught in the act by Hephaestus in his, in his invisible net. Um, but I think one of the things to point out is in the sextile with Saturn, Saturn was in kind of the overcoming position. So I always look at that planet as having a little bit more say in the matter that is helping and assisting if it's a positive relationship. I think that um, Saturn is putting the brakes a little bit on Venus, Venus's desires at the sextile with Saturn. But Venus may be trying to, to soften and uh, pacify some of the tension that we're feeling with Mars in Gemini, because Venus is in the overcoming position to Mars. So we have all these choices. We have all these this anxiety uh, that we can see in the consecrated uh, Rider-Waite tarot card, the Nine of Swords, with Mars in the second decan of, of Gemini. 
we're really trying to hold duality and all these different choices and directions we could go and all these different people we could be within this new sovereign state. And I think Venus will, it, the message of Venus here to me is trust your heart, trust your gut, make a choice. Um, you don't have to do everything all at once. Um, by being true to yourself and your vision and letting go of the distractions of imagined other paths that aren't your own and getting clear with your own path and your own vision, that will help you to make the choice. So I think Venus here might show us what could really make us happy within the worlds that we want to create that are of our own volition rather than ones that we were involuntarily being drawn into. I think that we can both play, we can play both roles of Persephone. We could see that we could be getting sucked into a world not of our own choosing. And we could also look at it from the other, you know, more feminine perspective of we are choosing to leave something behind. And I think that if we acknowledge and try to integrate our desires, they will show up less as externalized projections that we then become the victim of. I think this is one of the goals of things like Jungian depth psychology and therapy is integrating some of these shadow energies so that we don't experience them as much as fate. This is something that Liz Green talks about in her book, The Astrology of Fate, is by using our quality of pronoia for knowledge and trying to integrate uh, the disparate parts of ourself we are much less likely to have them appear as mythological characters in our life. It doesn't mean that they won't. Um, I think it's a mixture. I, 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 again, I, I go, uh, I have a balanced, I think a balanced viewpoint of this, that some events we will experience as fate and some we will experience as um, having more choice in the matter as. But again, even if you experience external circumstances, by incorporating and integrating that experience, you may have a less um, difficult time. You may suffer less. There may be still a painful experience that comes up. And again, that happens with life. I think as you get further on in this journey, at least as I've gotten further on in my journey, one of the things I've attempted to do is release my judgment of what an experience is or isn't. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it right? Is it wrong? Which is hard because I have a lot of, um, I don't know, I have a lot of attraction to making judgments on things. I have a lot of Virgo stuff in my energy. I want there to be a right answer. I want there to be a wrong answer. And as I'm doing more studies in more Eastern philosophy and Taoism and things of that nature, um, what what is attractive to me about Taoism in general is Yes, they do speak of some uh, moral um, implications of their, their oracle, the I Ching and whatnot, but there is this focus on cycles, on the cycles of nature itself. And I think by you know coming to terms with just having this existence be part of natural cycles, it's easier to release judgment when we see something as part of a natural cycle. There will be times where we have to sever. There will be times when we have to unify. There will be times where we have to give birth to something, and there will be times when we have to let something die. 
And when we constantly say, this birth is wrong, this death is wrong, this unification is wrong, this severing is wrong, um, I mean, that's really where the pain comes in. And I think that when we take a little bit more of a stoic viewpoint at it and we, and we accept those cycles, all the while realizing that, that there sometimes is things that are required of us. I think this is something that people mistake about, I don't know, stoic philosophy or the I Ching, um, you know, that you just have to ex accept everything and never do anything. I think that there's a difference between acceptance and uh, knowing what, what action or what non-action to take, right? Like everything, every choice is leading to some kind of result. And sometimes the, the choice is to not act on something. And that is the, what is required of you in a time, like, for example, in the I Ching, if we have a time that speaks of winter, where we are trying to go into hibernation, some of the most, I guess, enlightened action or part of what the cycle requires is um, not moving, stillness, okay? And that, that, those, those kind of um, realizations of, of harmonizing with nature really have taken a lot of stress, anxiety, worry out of my life. Not that I don't experience it, but I, I take uh, solace and I have faith in the natural cycles. And man, I'll tell you what, I used to be a really, really anxious person. And um, again, I'm not perfect and I have my moments, especially when big changes are happening in my life. But for the most part, I just try to ride the wave at this point. And um, it really does make life more enjoyable, we'll say. All right. So on that note, let's talk about the I Ching that we did for this Venus cycle in Aries 2. So I've been uh, downloading a few new books, a few new translations of the I Ching, and um, getting some really cool stuff with this. And I, I'm really making a commitment in my daily journal practices to write down some more details of the I Ching so that I get a deeper understanding. What I'm doing now is I'm writing down each trigram's um, element and um, kind of trying to understand these elements. And here we have fire or clarity or light it is in Chinese, it's Li, over top of the lake or the marsh, which speaks about abundance, but water, watery abundance, things growing in the abundance of the lake, which is called Dui. I think it's how they pronounce it, Dui, Dui, D-U-I. I have to work on my Chinese pronunciations. Um, the hexagram itself is called um, I think it's Kui, K-U-I. Like I said, I'll, I'll have to do some more research on that. That's not something I looked up this week. But this hexagram is called opposition, contradiction, or opposing. This is one where they speak of fire and water not necessarily mingling. You know that you know that old saying, "Fire and water don't mix." Um, and I think that this speaks to holding dual. Uh, duality 
and being able to hold opposing viewpoints without letting it fall into, you know, disintegration and degradation and conflict. So Hillary Barrett, her questions that she asks says, what if the difference were not a threat? How could we use this tension? How could we, how could this tension be creative? If you can't see eye to eye, what can you see? Says opposing small affairs, good fortune. So contradictory impulses, fire and water not mixing. They talk about the sun sparkling on the lake. That's interesting, right? Where even if we aren't seeing these two elements mix, the light and the, the sun itself and the lake, we can see this beauty reflected in one another, right? Appreciating one another. So when we're asserting a separate identity like Persephone, um, maybe we are hearing the voices of the dead and we want to go off in search of a new territory like Persephone. Maybe those are haunting voices that we can't just follow along with Demeter's um, agenda. We have to seek common ground. This is seeking common ground on the major issues while setting aside the minor ones. Within any family, eventually, hopefully, you can come to some kind of agreement with people that you disagree with. Uh, you can agree to disagree and still respect each other's sovereignty. You know, I think that children can respect the parents' right to be while establishing their own life, their own territories. So honoring the values of both sides, both viewpoints. Um, this speaks to Demeter's deal that she made with Hades, right? Where she shared Persephone half of the year with Hades and got to be with her half of the time. It wasn't that they necessarily, you know, mixed. It's that they were able to hold these completely contradictory viewpoints. You know, this is Persephone was gone for a third of that year. But they, they worked it out. They, they made something that worked. They ag kind of agreed to disagree on some level. And they made something that, that allowed life to continue on the earth, the major issue, while setting aside the minor difference of how much time should each person have with this desired you know, partner. So in, in one of the translations, they talk about the divergent will of siblings with this hexagram, which I thought was interesting because Zeus had uh, a will, Hades had a will, and they were both um, trying to assert their desires. They were siblings. So we could see that the, the, maybe even the divergent will of siblings in Hades and Zeus. Okay. So I think that's what I've got for you today. Uh be able to respect others' opinions. Recognize that harmony may be difficult to come by right now because of Venus's combust uh, condition. And, you know, lean, lean on your own inner dignity, your own inner flame, and um, slow your roll at the beginning of this cycle. And then try to make a choice based on what will serve your independent sense of ability to move forward under your own power as we get to the end of the cycle. All righty. That's what I've got for you today, everyone. I will return soon with a Sun in Aries 1 video shortly. Um, if you are enjoying these videos, make sure you can hit that like button. That's the easiest thing you can do to support me. That is really helping out. Um, if you are not subscribed to the channel, make sure you're hitting that subscribe button and the, turn the notification bell on if you want to get these videos in a timely fashion. 
If you want to support the work that I do in a material way, you can buy me a coffee or a tea or a mate or a shake at buymeacoffee.com. It is a, a patron service that, that supports the work that I do with little micro don donations. And it is, uh, I really like it to uh, using that service to help keep these videos available to the most amount of people possible. It's a really cool model. And I really appreciate all the support that all of you have been um, giving. And, and I, I appreciate it. I wanted to say thank you for that. And uh, by, by making a donation, you may be helping someone else who may not have the means to make a donation. Uh, you may be helping to give this gift of knowledge to them. So thank you for that. Uh, I appreciate every one of you that is, has, has supported me through that vehicle. All right, everyone. That's what I've got for you today. Uh, try to be kind with to one another as you go through this Aries journey here. Uh, try to respect each other's position. Try to find balance as you try to assert your own individual territory and your own sovereignty. And be true to yourself as you do it as well. You don't have to compromise every part of yourself. You can still stay true to yourself while respecting other people as well. So that's what I've got. Take care, everyone. Peace.